everybody. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report Direct Message. It's November 18th, 2021. We are live streaming. What did I say? It's not, it's not November. Oh, that's on you, man. They screwed me. It's December 2nd. That tells you everything you need to know about the teleprompter. Like I know the date, but then you put that freaking thing. That No lunch for you, man. Michael's not getting any lunch. You screwed me good, Michael. It is December 2nd, 2021. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, we are live streaming on Rumble. We're live streaming on YouTube and on Blaze TV. Uh, and actually, today's a huge day. Um, if you have not heard the news already, I suspect that most of you have uh, because it's breaking and it's sort of just going across the internet in a crazy way as these viral moments do. Uh, Rumble, which of course, as you know, uh, locals, my company merged with Rumble about six weeks ago, our feeling was we wanted to combine forces with another sort of mission-aligned company to fight for the free speech principles that I believe in and espouse on this show all the time, and to fight for a free and open internet, uh, which is sort of what the promise of the internet was 20 years ago, but certainly not what the internet has become under the thumb of big tech giants like YouTube and Google and Facebook and everybody else. Well, that happened about six weeks ago, that big merger, and it's made both of the companies stronger and bigger, and, we're, and our growth is great, and all of that good stuff. And as you may have seen, uh, the story originally broke last night, but then really has sort of caught fire today. Uh, Rumble has now combined with CFVI, which is Cantor Fitzgerald, and I'm sure many of you know uh, or have heard of Cantor Fitzgerald. They're a financial services firm, uh, and they're sort of most known, unfortunately, uh, outside of the financial world, uh, that they were one of the companies that on 9-11, uh, they were uh, office, their office was in the Twin Towers, one of the buildings, and 658 of their employees uh, actually died on 9-11. So that's why if the, if the name rings a bell to you, it might be because of that. I lived in New York City at the time. Uh, obviously, uh, everybody sort of knew that story, but that's not what this is about. They've, they've rebuilt the company sort of beyond crazy circumstances. Uh, and now uh, Rumble through CFEI is going public and is being traded as we speak right now. So I just want to be clear about a couple of things. First off, I am in no way giving anyone any kind of uh, investing advice at all, nothing like that. But I do want to just say a couple of things about what's going on here in the fight against big tech. And then sort of uh, I'll answer some questions. I saw that we already have a couple couple questions about the merger and all that good stuff. Uh, look, we all know something's wrong with the internet. We all know it. We all know there's something wrong with the way we're communicating with each other. We all know that certain things are demonetized, certain things are deboosted, certain things are regulated in odd ways. You guys know if you're watching this on YouTube that if you subscribe to my channel and you click that notification bell, as I often remind you to do, you know that you don't see my videos, right? Like we don't know how the algorithm manipulates us so that if you're watching one thing, could they feed you 20 other things to push you in a particular political direction or could they show you things that are counter to that to push you in another direction? We just don't know. We know that this is all like oddly combined with mainstream media and it's all just kind of gross and truly guys, the mission of Rumble and Locals uh, for as long as I am uh, part of this and for as long as Chris, who is the CEO is part of this and I had a long conversation with, with, it about, him, with him about it this morning, um, our goal will be to have uh, a fair internet, 
You're allowed to say what you want politically. If you wanna say something about an election, that's okay. If you wanna say something about a vaccine, that's okay. You can't break the laws. You can't plan a terrorist attack, right? You can't directly threaten somebody, something like that. And if you do those things, you got bigger problems than say rumble or locals. But we want to build a parallel ecosystem. I am not here to destroy YouTube or Google or anything else. We just wanna build better products. That's why we did this. That's why we're combining forces. Uh, that's what CFBI is all about. And I'm thrilled to say that, you know, I'm, I'm in this with Dan Bongino, who put up a, a really fantastic video about it this morning. And uh, we're gonna fight. We're gonna do the best we can. And you know what, when you're in a fight, uh, sometimes you need some other people, right? You need to find people that have some money. You need to have, you find people that have some resources and you hope that you're all ideologically aligned enough to build something bigger than what you've all built. I think that's what we've done here. Uh, so let me leave it at that for now. I know we have a couple specific questions about that. And before we get to the Q&A today, uh, I did wanna talk about that great man from Florida. Yes, that Ron DeSantis, who basically single-handedly is uh, saving the United States by making Florida a shining beacon for freedom in this country. I mean, it really, really is true. Like you listen to what this guy's doing, versus pretty much what everyone else is doing. And it's like, there's just, there's just no comparison. Uh, so DeSantis really yesterday gave a great speech just ripping into Biden over COVID policy. And you know my policy about COVID. I'm only gonna show you things about COVID that hopefully are gonna inspire you or really show what hypocrites these people are. I think this is one of the inspirational ones. Here's Ron DeSantis. Now, this is a, a guy who demagogued Donald Trump all of last year saying tr COVID was Trump's fault. If you elected him, he would shut down COVID. Well, that hasn't happened. Okay, you right now you see massive waves in Michigan and in Maine and some of these other places, and you see waves taking off in other states in the Northeast. And that's just the reality. And so uh, he basically sold the public a bill of goods, said that he would shut it down. He's not shutting it down. So what they're doing now, I think is just, it's not gonna have any impact on, on mitigating COVID. It's more, more theater. And so all the mandates have been put on hold. None of those were constitutional. Uh, and now you're gonna have potentially more restrictions. At least they're not gonna go through with the insane idea that all Americans would have to quarantine for seven days upon coming back into the United States. Even if they're vaccinated, even if they tested negative, that was actually under discussion. That would have been absolutely ridiculous uh, if that was the case. And so Florida, we have the, the lowest COVID rate in the country uh, for cases. But then if you look just infections in the COVID Estim project, which is Yale, Harvard, Stanford, they don't look at just cases. They look at all the, because most infections aren't documented with case counts. Uh, they have Florida right now as one infection for every 100,000, the lowest in the country. And there's some states that are 120, 130 infections per 100,000. And so, but a lot of those places that have the high infections, they have mandates and they have passports and they have all these things. And so uh, I, I just think we need to get real here and we should not be imposing any type of mandates uh, or restrictions on the American people, especially when you don't do that for people that are coming into the country illegally. Okay, so there was obviously a lot more of that that we could have showed you. I felt two minutes was probably enough. You got the idea there. I think one of the things that's most impressive about DeSantis is that he does all of that 
pretty much without a lot of notes in front of him. Notice he doesn't look down a lot. There are no prompters in that area, right? He's not looking at anything. He's got a set of information. He's reciting it. Uh, he's telling you what he thinks. And it's very obvious that he believes what he says. He references studies. Like the guy really is on the ball. You may remember a couple weeks ago, I was at a, a fundraising dinner for him and I was super impressed. Just an hour going on and on about everything. And again, with references and data points and all this, and then doing an uncensored Q&A right after. And then I had the, the honor, even though I don't think politicians are above us, but I had the honor of sitting next to the guy at dinner. And it was like, he just took question after question, pulled no punches. He, he's just the real deal. A couple of points that he made there. First off, that the mandates are non, not constitutional. And that is true. The government cannot force companies to force their employees to inject themselves with things. They can't do that. This is now hung up in the courts. You all know about that. The Daily Wire is leading uh, the case on that through Harmeet Dillon, who's a wonderful lawyer who I've had on the show and a friend of mine. Uh, so we are now fighting those things out, but DeSantis is saying, hey, we're just not gonna be part of it. We're not gonna be part of that here in Florida. We have rules, we have laws, and we're just not gonna be part of this federal mandate nonsense, which isn't even in effect at the moment. Uh, he also makes a point, this insane idea about everyone quarantining. You may remember a couple of days ago, we played that video from Fox News, Peter Ducey talking about how they were about to lay out all of these new regulations and restrictions, and there were rumors about new lockdowns coming and a whole bunch more. Uh, and I said, I didn't wanna get too into it because who knows how much of this is just a rumor right now versus reality. Now, it sounds like they're not gonna force everybody who comes into the United States to do this self-quarantine for seven days. Not that there's any real way to make sure that people are actually doing it or that anyone would do it or anything else. Uh, but the point is they float these ideas and then guess what happens? Then there's pushback, right? Like I mentioned it on the show, other people mention it and they go, oh, the people aren't all sheep. Maybe we're pushing a little too hard here. So they're not gonna do that, which is great. Uh, and then finally, of course, he mentions that Florida now has the lowest COVID rate in the country. The lowest COVID rate in the country. So that's what's happening over in Florida while Gavin Newsom, as you know, extended his... Uh, emergency powers here in California, and then went on a $200,000 vacation with his family. You tell me what type of person uh, you want in the government working for you, because that's what they're supposed to be doing, working for you. I think the answer is pretty clear. Uh, all right, guys, we got a ton on the Q&A, and of course, if you wanna get questions in last minute, you can join us at rubenreport.locals.com. You can text us, chat with us right now. Helen can get me messages through that prompter that had the wrong data on it a moment ago. You can get me questions directly and we've got a whole bunch to get to, but before I get to the q and I wanna to talk to you guys about ladder. You know, I wanna talk for a minute about things that have fundamentally changed the way we live. These things are the disruptors, things like smartphones, streaming services, or dogs named Clyde who like to jump on you each time you come home and he's a boxer and he also punches and he's punched me in the nuts many times. Another disruptor I heard of recently is a company called Ladder, who basically took the life insurance industry, flipped it upside down and shook out the inefficiencies. Before Ladder, if you wanted to get life insurance, you had to drive across town, fill out a ton of paperwork, and then wait six to eight weeks to find out if you've been approved. You also receive, you'd also receive a zillion phone calls from agents trying to bundle your life insurance with things like car insurance. Now with Ladder, you can get fast, affordable life term insurance without leaving home. Uh, it's 100% when you apply for $3 million or less in coverage, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. So if you've been, if, so if you're between the ages of 20 and 60, need coverage, and wanna team up with a company that's redeeming life insurance, 
Choose Ladder. The process is super quick and easy. Go to ladderlife.com slash Ruben today and see if you're instantly approved. That's ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R, life.com slash Ruben, ladderlife.com slash Ruben. And now back to me. How we doing over there? We're having some technical craziness. I got an error on the prompter. My, my mic was a little low. There's a lot going on. We have a lot going on right now in this studio. And uh, it's just... Okay, here we go, Ruben Report Q&A. We got a gajillion questions, roughly, and uh, I'll take as many as I possibly can. Brian Allen says, how's Hanukkah in LA? You know, it's been a pretty uh, uneventful Hanukkah, I'd say. Tonight's night five of Hanukkah, eight crazy nights. Of course, Hanukkah is the story of a couple Jews known as the Maccabees who were in the Judean Hills, uh, which is now known as the West Bank. That's a place that Rashida Tlaib and AOC and Ilhan Omar don't want any Jews to live in. But it's a story from about 2,500 years ago, about 2,500 years ago, where those crazy Jews in the Judean Hills, odd that it was called the Judean Hills, it makes you wonder who lived there back then, uh, was defending their own land and their livelihood and way of life and culture uh, from the Greeks. And they won, and then, you know, the oil and the eight days and the whole thing. So you eat, uh, you eat latkes and uh, you eat donuts and other fried food in honor of that. It's actually been totally good. Sent some fun gifts to my nieces and nephews, and uh, we've, we've been lighting the candles and all that good stuff. I thank you for asking. Storm says, with the crazy new CEO of Twitter, are you looking at other social media sites for broad public interactions? Well, look, of course, Uh, Well, if you haven't heard, for those of you that haven't heard, uh, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, he's been the CEO, I think basically from the beginning, probably for over a decade now, uh, he stepped down from Twitter this week. Now, look, I have no love for Jack Dorsey. I've critiqued him many times. I've had a couple interactions with him on Twitter. He had promised to do this show so that he could publicly respond to some of the critiques. He promised me personally many times, and then just always it got lost within once I was on emails with like the Twitter comms people, it would always get pushed and lost. We can't do it now, we can't do it then, blah, blah, blah. I think some of these people just are a little over their heads. He strikes me as one of those guys. I don't know, is he some like evil globalist who was censoring everybody and shadow banning everybody and everything else? I don't know. But I also know, you know, he was running another company. I think Square, is that the other company that Jack Dorsey was running, Square? It's like, I would imagine that being CEO of Twitter is probably enough of a job for one guy. And somehow he's the CEO of another company too. Like that just all seemed very odd to me. Uh, But they have a new CEO now. A couple of his old tweets have appeared and it seems like he may not be that friendly to uh, free speech in general. Uh, He's actually made a couple points about how Twitter should not be about free speech. It should be about more of like safe communications and cleaning up public discourse, things of that nature, which are just Orwellian terms to say, hey, we're gonna censor people we don't like. So I don't have a lot of faith that Twitter is gonna be in good shape. Um, I suspect I'll be banned at some point. I would suspect anyone that's a free thinker at any level would be. That's exactly why I started Locals. I mean, everyone should have an off-ramp. So, you know, join us at rubenreport.locals.com. It's absolutely free to create an account, download the app. You'll be able to stay in contact with me. And then if you wanna throw in a couple bucks to interact, to get some bon- you know, bonus content, early stuff, things of that nature, that's great. And then you also support the show, help uh, keep us independent. That's one way, but everyone needs their off-ramp right now. Like these social media sites are coming for everybody. And of course I can link this back to where I started today. This is exactly why we merged with Rumble. We want to build a better ecosystem. We wanna build parallel rails and better companies. You know, again, this is why I don't always attack these guys directly. It's like, I sort of feel bad. Like you're the CEO of Twitter. You're like this tech guy. Next thing you know, you're like, 
you're basically running an empire and you don't even know how much power you have and how ubiquitous all this stuff is. And it's like, I don't know, like it doesn't seem like the most fun thing in the world. Now they get paid shit tons of money for it. Okay, fine. Um, but you know, this all, none of us knew what the internet was gonna do to the entire world 20 years ago. Now we have a lot of information. So I think we can build better companies right now. That is our goal with Rumble and Locals. It really is that simple. Um, so I know we have a couple more on that, so I won't go too far. Cheryl says there's boatloads of hope that people will wake up and a red tide will sweep the country in 2022. Given the amount of voter fraud and corruption in many of our larger cities and the collusion of mainstream media to keep people uninformed, do you think this is false hope? What can we do to make uh, that, what, what can we all do to make that change in the face of the leftist machine? So look, this is a great question. Obviously it does seem as bad as things are, COVID, lockdowns, Omicron, Unicron, Megatron, Soundwave, it all sounds very scary, right? Like none of us are happy about the mandate. It's like there's so much evil just like floating in the ether right now, it's not good. But a lot of people are waking up. A lot of people are waking up. It's like two years after all this started, do you think the government deserves more of your money? Do you think Nancy Pelosi deserves more power over you? Like, do you think these people care about you? I think a lot of people are realizing you have to be reliant on yourself. You have to be reliant on your family, your community. You have to figure out ways to not be so beholden to big tech or big media or whatever it might be. You may have to grow some food, learn how to do some things. By the way, this is very much what my, what my next book is all about Don't Burn This Country, which comes out in April. Um, but you you ask an interesting question, which is, okay, so if there's a lot of people waking up and, and we wanna take power back to the people, and by the way, that's what happened in Virginia with Glenn Youngkin, obviously. There's parents showing up to school board meetings fighting against critical race theory. Like, there's a lot of good markers out there in the distance, and it can be hard to see them sometimes through like, just you wake up and there's just like the outrage of the day or the scary variant that's coming to kill you and everyone you know. Um, but the real question here is, um, do, do we trust uh, that the system won't fortify the election? Remember that article after the election last time that they didn't steal the election? Was that in the Atlantic, the fortify the election article? I think it might be, maybe it was the Atlantic or the New Republic. They didn't steal the election. They just had industry leaders and journalists and activists and nonprofit groups fortify the election to make sure that Orange Hitler would not become president again and have a second term of evil, which now seems like the greatest four years. Like it seems like a dream, those four years, doesn't it? Relative to like the lunacy that we're dealing with now. Um, so I think the best thing we can do is get more involved. You know, you gotta speak up and you gotta get involved. Like nobody's coming to save you. Uh, there's a couple good politicians out there. Obviously DeSantis is like, is like the gold standard for what a governor should be doing in his state to care about the people that are in his state and to make sure that they can live as freely as possible. And they're flourishing there right now, absolutely flourishing. And if you didn't watch the show uh, from a day or two ago, we just opened, uh, we just closed the deal on our first studio space there. So locals, as you know, moved down there. We moved down there about half a year ago, uh, but now we're also building studios in Miami. So like there's a ton of good stuff going on there. Find some people that are like-minded with you, figure out ways, whether it's like going to the, to the school board meetings and saying what you think, uh, whether it's starting a little political club or maybe it's not political, but you start a book club with people that don't wanna just read you know, leftist propaganda. Like there's just ways, but you gotta do it and you gotta have hope. And, uh, and I think there, there is reason for hope, I really do.
Uh, Patrick says, what's your favorite Christmas movie and why is it Die Hard? Well, first off, I will absolutely say, I've said it on the record before and I will say it again, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's obviously a Christmas movie. The whole thing takes place during Christmas at a Christmas party. So it is a Christmas movie. Uh, it's a spectacular movie, that is true. However, what is my favorite Christmas movie? Well, I actually just watched it. I've seen it probably a hundred times and I watched it again on the plane ride uh, going to Florida a couple days ago. Christmas Vacation Chevy Chase is, it's perfect. It's funny, it's perfect Chevy Chase. It's sort of 80s cheesiness. You know, I know the, the vacation movies, uh, the last couple were pretty terrible. You know, the first, the first one, original National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, going to Wally World is perfect. The European Vacation one, not great. Christmas Vacation is just great. The interactions with his parents, the in-laws, the kids, there's just so much, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, kiss my ass, kiss his ass, Happy Hanukkah. Like there's just so much funny stuff in there. Um, it's, it's just great and uh, yeah, that is my favorite Christmas movie. Uh, ben says, did you hear about the new Santa Cruz County mask mandate? They just mandated that you mask up in your own freaking homes. Yes, I did see it and we did not cover it here because I decided not to cover that sort of depressing, ridiculous, nonsensical edict ordered by no undoubtedly people who will not do that in their house. Like, do you think whoever the city regulator was or whoever it was in Santa Cruz that's telling people that they have to mask up in their own homes, do you think that there is any chance, like literally any chance that they are masking up in their own homes? Of course not, much like that woman. What was that woman's name that we went to, the protest at her house who shut down? Sheila Cool, Sheila cool thank you. Sheila Uncool. Uh, who was the city supervisor here in LA who voted to shut down outdoor dining. This is months ago. And then literally that night, knowing that the mandate would kick in the next day, she then went and ate outside at her favorite Italian restaurant in Santa Monica. And it's like, you, you, you people are just evil, right? Like, what else can I say about you? Like, are you misguided? Are you stupid? Are you retarded? I don't know. But like, you're just evil. Your actions at some point are evil because you don't even fear this thing because you're having your your pasta fajoule uh, while you're eating outside, while you're, you're shutting down other people's businesses and destroying other people's lives. That actually, that protest, which we went to, I took my whole team there, uh, was the very protest that I signed the recall for, Cavan for Gavin Newsom. Obviously it didn't turn out the way I want, but you can't win them all. Uh, Michael says the rumble acquisition of locals was brought up on a recent Joe Rogan experience with guest Tim Poole. Have you seen or heard about the discussion who would you not allow to use the platform, uh, for example, terrorist KKK Gavin Newsom, <laughs> et cetera? Um, well, Gavin Newsom's obviously the worst of those. Um, so I did not see that specific instance. It must be just in the last couple of weeks because obviously this is somewhat new news. Um, but I would say this, first off, I'm not fully in charge of policy, right? Like I'm, I'm helping uh, talk about these ideas and I'm helping on the PR side. But what I can tell you is we are having serious discussions and this is alongside Dan Bongino about doing everything we can to make sure that political discussion that is not directly leading to violence, so terrorists, you asked about terrorists, like we're not gonna, Hamas cannot be on there. You cannot have uh, you know, a terrorist group that wants to blow up people and maim people and destroy property and all that will not be allowed. And by the way, that's a, that's a law in the United States that you can't do that. So if they were able to sneak a video on, they'd have a much bigger problem. And of course, we would take that video down. Are you allowed to share noxious views? You are. 
We are trying our best to remain politically neutral. That is the goal. That is me telling you that that is what the goal is. Uh, if you wanna know more about that, I would recommend you check out Chris Pavlosky. He is the uh, CEO of Rumble. You can check out his Twitter page where he's put a couple statements up. Uh, and he is in control of the company, okay? And Asaf, my partner at Locals, is still running Locals completely. You are allowed to put up crazy leftist woke lunacy. Does the entire, for the most part, like the brass of Rumble and Locals, do we, uh, uh, do we believe in those ideas? Of course not, but we're not here to censor people, right? Like that was the problem. It was like if YouTube at day, on day one had said, hey, you know, we're pretty much woke and lefty and we are gonna suppress people on the right. We are gonna push people on the left and we're gonna go for all this diversity inclusion and we're gonna, you know, do all these algorithmic tricks. Well, then we all would have known what the score was or not even the score. We would have known what the rules are at the beginning and then we could have acted accordingly, right? We could have said, oh, maybe we shouldn't be on these platforms or maybe we do have to figure out other ways of building things or whatever else. But they pretended they were neutral. Our stated goal having seen their mistakes, is to bring the most politically neutral platform possible. But you can't break the laws of the United States. So can Gavin Newsom have a channel on Rumble where he can say whatever he wants? Yeah. Can he, says, can he say he doesn't like Dave Rubin? Yeah. And can I have a channel where I say I don't like Gavin Newsom? Yeah. And that will be the point. And are you allowed to say that you're skeptical of elections? Sure. And are you allowed to say that you're skeptical of vaccines? Sure. And are you allowed to say you love vaccines and you think elections are always perfect? You can say all that stuff too. So that, that's my commitment to you. We're, we're gonna do the best we can to respect the, the principles of free speech and the First Amendment uh, as best as we possibly can. And it'll be, it'll be a work in progress. And I, I also want you to know that the reason I stuck around because we could have sold this company for cash. We really could have when we sold locals. I could have just walked away with a lot of cash and I didn't. I wanted to stick around. I wanted to take stock so I could stick around to be part of this. It's like, this is what, as Dan Bongino said in his video, it's like, this is what his life's work has been and has become. And I guess that's what's happened to me too. Like it wasn't really intentional. Uh, I just started saying what I think a couple of years ago and here I am. But I promise you that Dan and I will, will be as transparent as is humanly possible when we have new policy changes, unlike YouTube and Twitter, which by the way, like I think it was YouTube or one of them, I got an email at like 2 a.m. on Friday after Thanksgiving when they know no one's checking emails uh, about updates of privacy policies. Like we're gonna try to do this better than them. We are gonna build better products. That's the only way we get out of any of this stuff. Talway says, how do you feel about the fact that there are more boarded up windows and armed guards in Union Square rather than windows full of holiday ornamentation and the seasonal enticement of products. What does that tell you about democratic policy? Yeah, you're talking about Union Station in New York. You know, I was in New York a couple weeks ago and yeah, it's weird. It was like, it was like sort of open and people were around and you're supposed to show vaccine passports, but people didn't really care. And it smells like weed everywhere now where it used to smell like pee and homeless people. There's more of a smell of weed throughout the city, pretty much everywhere. Um, but there are still tons of boarded up stores here in LA, tons of boarded up stores. It's partly that, you know, companies, small business, mom and pop operations and restaurants, they just can't deal with uh, every couple weeks having people break their windows or just knowing that the government could just shut them down. You know, something like, uh, I think something like 2% of first year restaurants succeed usually. It's like an incredibly, incredibly hard thing to you know, actually create a successful, thriving restaurant. Now you throw in, oh, that the threat of violence could come at any moment, and we're also gonna tell people that if they go outside, they're gonna get sick. It's very, very tough. 
so your question is, what does this all tell you about Democrat policy? I mean, it tells you that it's pretty horrible. Look at Minnesota. Ilhan Omar defunded the police and now crime and murder is through the roof and she's blaming the police for not doing their job. In New York, you know, they're, they're letting people, they're not arresting you if you go into CVS and you steal $800 worth of shit, they're doing it here in LA. San Francisco, which I was at about three, four weeks ago, is an absolute dystopian nightmare. So it's like, you don't have to listen, you don't have to just look at numbers to figure out what is real and who you should vote for. It's like, what do I always say now? It's like, you don't have to be a Republican, but you cannot be a Democrat, right? I don't really consider myself a Republican, but I consider myself someone who cares about freedom, right? Like, I don't think I have to be a Republican, like I'm putting on the pin and I'm going to the Republican Party convention and and here we go and I love Ronald Reagan. Like, I like a lot of those ideas. I watch a lot of Ronald Reagan when I'm doing cardio. You know, there you go, Ronald Reagan. Um, but, but you can't be a Democrat right now. You just can't. And would I like to see a, a restoration of balance in the force? Yeah, it would be good. It would be good if the Democrats could get rid of their worst elements, but they can't. And right now, they're, they're conservatives. They're basically pretty good. And there's a balance between libertarianism and old school conservatism and the Trump thing and some more religious nationalists. And, and it's all in a mix and everyone kind of wants America to operate. So the choice is up to you. Uh, Victor says, as we make a run at creating parallel structures, going public is undoubtedly the best way to raise capital needed quickly to compete. He's obviously talking about what happened with Rumble this morning. However, what steps can we take to make sure the boardrooms of pro-liberty companies don't become woke? I'm thrilled that you asked this question, actually, because this is a legitimate concern, right? Like, so people saw where Rumble is now a public company through uh, this deal with Cantor Fitzgerald, right? So now there'll be a board, there will be like much more money around and many more voices and all of those things. Look, we are gonna do the best we can to have the right people on the board. As I said, Chris is going to continue to run the company and control the company. Asaf is running locals. And will it be, will it be impossible to make sure we're not infected? I don't know if it'll be impossible. I think we can do the best job possible, uh, that, is, that is possible. If we go in knowing that once you let wokeism in, once you have a diversity and inclusion department in your company, like I cannot imagine that Rumble will do that. I cannot imagine I'm gonna get an email one day and someone's gonna go, you know, we're having a diversity and inclusion thing and Dave, you've gotta be replaced by a trans black lesbian on the Rubin Report. They don't, they don't own Rubin Report, I'm just giving you an example. Um, we're gonna do everything we possibly can to make sure that the people uh, who become our board members, the people who are guiding policy, that they're not wokesters. Um, now, will you allow, be allowed to be a wokester using the product that we provide? Of course, you'll be allowed to be a leftist, you'll be allowed to be a progressive nutbag, whatever you, you're allowed to be a socialist and a communist and a Marxist, AOC, you're welcome on Rumble, okay? And we're not gonna suppress your traffic just because the stuff that you spout is bananas. Uh, but we have work to do. So it's a, it's an absolutely legitimate question. It's a great question, I'm glad you asked. We have to do everything we can to make sure that the people that are on the board, that are making the decisions, that are in all the important meetings, that we're all agreed on the basic principles of free speech, that we are not here to put our finger on the scale. And I promise you, I will do everything I can to make sure that that becomes a reality. Uh, Paul says, will you be joining Dr. Jordan Peterson's new tour at any point? So if you didn't hear, Jordan just announced a day or two ago that he's going on something like a 140-stop tour, which is pretty much exactly what we did last time. Uh, there were about 140 shows last time. I did about 120 of them in, in about 20 cities. I am not gonna be joining him on this tour. I just have too much 
going on. Uh, as you can tell, there's a lot going on here between Rumble stuff and production company stuff and my new book and I'll, I'll be on my own tour like, but I, I wanna be extremely, extremely clear. I wish Jordan nothing but the best and I hope this tour absolutely crushes it. I hope that it is as life affirming and life changing for hundreds of thousands of people as the last one was. Uh, I believe that his daughter Michaela will be opening up for him, but Jordan did mention that if he's ever in a town that I'm in, that maybe I can do a little guest appearance, a little warm up up top. Uh, I do sense that perhaps in February, there's a date of a city that I might be in at that point. And you know, okay, okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I, I would highly recommend you go. Go go see Jordan, he's, he's back, he's sharp. Um, he helped me change my life and I have no doubt that by you asking that question, he helped you change yours and that's a pretty beautiful thing. Uh, Yitzi says, what does the Rumble IPO mean for locals? I mean, I've basically been talking about that. So locals and Rumble merged. So in effect, they are one company. We're running the companies separately. So Asaf, who is my partner and CEO of locals will continue to run locals. We now have more resources. So basically by going to IPO, by going public, this allows us to get way more resources. We can start looking at other companies and go, man, they have a good business plan. They've got good content creators. Could we maybe acquire these people? And, and then can we help leverage the distribution network that is Rumble to make sure there's more eyeballs on everybody? Can we do that? And then also figure out a way to monetize all that. We really like subscription, obviously. That's what Locals does. Um, without having to sell people's data and you know steal basically your digital soul that everyone else is doing. So in the short term, in terms of the product, if you like locals, nothing is changing. Our hope is that we will have more resources so we can grow faster. You know, there's things that we wanna add that now that we'll have more resources, you can add more team members, we can update more quickly. Uh, there's a Rumble app, a new Rumble app is coming out, which I've seen the, the mock-ups for, which is gonna be awesome. Uh, and we're gonna do our best to pay attention to what your needs are. Like, we're just doing our best. I, I really promise you that. Um, and, I, and now by going public, you guys, can be along for the ride. But again, I, I'm not telling anyone to do anything. Wh whatever you do with your hard-earned money is obviously your decision. Um, you know my feelings about the company. Uh, Marissa says, happy Hanukkah. Do you think we are headed for a civil war? <laughs> so they got a funny about the transition there. There are several pundits pontificating this possibility. Michael Malice, for example. Do we, are we heading towards a civil war? So I've been answering this in a, in, these Q and A's and on some interviews that I've been doing, a, a civil war. Well, well, first off, I would hope that we will all do everything that we can to not enter a civil war. The problem that we have right now is that we have two competing sets of ideas that are completely antithetical to one another. So in a normal situation, and for the first 200 years, let's say of America, we had a basic set of ideas that was something like this. We had some more conservative people who didn't wanna change that much at once, and we had some more liberal people who maybe did, right? So if you were, say, liberal in the old days, maybe you wanted to more quickly um, you know, get women to be able to vote or gay people to be allowed to marry or something like that. You wanted, you wanted to maybe push change a little bit more quickly to get people to true equality. From my position, this is, a, uh, this is a positive goal, and we've accomplished it in America. There is no one in the United States of America that is a legal citizen here that is treated differently under the law. It doesn't mean it's easy for everybody, and it doesn't mean we are all born the same way, or some of us are born rich, some of us are born poor, some of us have great skills, some of us, some people are born sick. I mean, there's all that stuff that's like just the gestalt of life, okay? 
but America has done everything it could to realize its promise of equality for everybody. And then it's your chance, right? It's then, and then hard work and being a decent person. Some of that stuff matters and you can go out and do the best thing possible. So we had conservatives and liberals fighting over different things. Should we, uh, the abolitionists, free all the slaves right now versus some of the people that said, we can't do it right now, it'll turn into complete tumult and we can all look back and go, okay, those are the bad guys and those are the good guys. But the point is there was this agreement that America as a, as a country, the idea of freedom and individual rights and God-given rights, that it was good and it was purposeful and it was meaningful. And that's why so many people came here. That's why all the success of America is great. It's why no one leaves America. You, you guys know all that stuff. Now we have a set of ideas that comes in, which is this woke Marxist, communist, socialist stuff, whatever you wanna know, that is, that is antithetical to those ideas because it is based in collectivism, that the group is more important than the individual. And the individual is the most important thing in a free society, right? Like if individuals are free, they will figure out what relationships work from them bottom up and we can build good things and that's what we've done. But now we've got this collectivist Borg that these people want, just keep giving this machine power and it will somehow control us in a good way. And of course it cannot be perfect as they always promise for their utopia because we are imperfect and imperfect creatures cannot create perfect systems, which is why you've got to kill an awful lot of people in the name of socialism and communism and Nazism and probably wokeism and the rest of it, you get it. So. As to a civil war, well, the difference of our old problem was, okay, liberals and conservatives, change a little bit. I don't wanna change that much. Like, okay, but we all think America's kinda good and let's agree that this thing's pretty decent and let's not all destroy it. Okay, that's the way we've operated for most of the years. Now we've got this thing that tells you America's founding is evil, we're systemically racist, the patriarchy, capitalism is evil, they have absolutely no respect for any of our institutions or the separation of powers. I mean, just listen to what they're saying about the Supreme Court right now, as all this abortion stuff's going on. It's like, this is a real problem because there's a set of people who are basically, they're basically Cobra Commander from the old G.I. Joe cartoon. Remember every episode of G.I. Joe ended with Cobra Commander trying to control the world, right? He'd have a weather machine or some crazy space laser or some underground thing and he wanted to control the entire world. And then at the end, he couldn't get it. So if I can't have it, nobody can. And that's sort of what they wanna do, meaning they wanna just destroy the whole damn thing if they don't get everything that they want. So are we gonna end up in some sort of like cold civil war situation? Probably, we're probably in it right now. You know, and it doesn't mean that we have neighbor attacking neighbor, although in some cases we do in wonderful progressive cities. Um, and I would hope it would never come to anything that would be any more physically violent. Like we gotta figure out ways. But the thing is, if, if you wanna be left alone and the other guy just doesn't wanna leave you alone, you got a real problem on your hand and that's what we have to figure out. And I think that that's what DeSantis is really focused on in Florida. He's going, look, Biden's ridiculous. The federal government's out of control. I can't fix all that. What I can do is fix what's going on in the borders of my state. And I think that's how we should all be dealing with the borders of our own property and, and where we wanna live and everything else. Um, so I hope we're not in one or heading to one, but it may just be inevitable. When you have a parasite in the system that is there to completely infect the host, what do you do? What do you do? That, that's the question. Uh, Kyle says, is it possible that the left is willing to sacrifice Roe v. Wade for a shot at removing right to medical privacy? If Roe v. Wade is overturned, does that put the right to medical privacy in question? So this is a really good question. If, if you haven't been paying attention, uh, there's this Mississippi law that I uh, may get basically to the Supreme Court that in the last couple of days there's been some hearings about. 
And uh, now there is this sudden momentum. Will the Supreme Court actually relook at Roe v. Wade again? The Supreme Court doesn't often overturn their own decisions, but it is not unheard of. I've heard a lot of misinformation about that. It has been done before, doesn't happen that often. Um, Roe v. Wade, by the way, just to be very, very clear because people are often confused, Roe v. Wade um, did not make abortion legal or illegal. It made it federally legal, meaning before that it was up to the state. So it made it, as, it made it that the states could no longer make the decision. Now this was a federal mandate, that abortion was a federal right. So look, you guys know my position on abortion. I think you have to have a couple weeks window on this. I do not believe that it's a life. I think we live in a pluralistic system with people with all sorts of philosophical and religious beliefs and all of those things. I am not denying science. We're in the middle of surrogacy. I know that when the sperm meets the egg, guess what happens? Within a day, basically now, because of uh, all the testing they can do, they can tell you whether it's a male or a female. I know that that's controversial too, but the doctor didn't say, oh, you know, we've got uh, a male, a female, and another here. You decide nine months from now. Um, so I'm not denying science in any way. I wanna give as much choice uh, to the parents as possible. I don't wanna control people, uh, but I think you have to have, it's just a freaking messy thing that I don't really want the government involved in. However, watching the abortion extremists on the left who are, you know, are basically t calling for eight month abortions and post birth abortions and everything else, Anyway, your question is really about medical privacy. What's interesting about this is, you know, our right to medical privacy has in essence been demolished already, right? Like, look at everything that's happened with COVID. Look at the fact that uh, Michael over here went to buy a shirt at Bloomingdale's and they wanted to see his vaccination status, uh, whether they were gonna let him buy a shirt or not. He didn't show it to him and then he had to wear an old shirt when we went to Candace. Candace to show. Have you gotten a new shirt since then? Oh, I got you a shirt in Miami. I bought him a shirt in Miami. I'm the hell of a boss. Um, you want a shirt too, don't you? All right, I'm gonna get Connor a shirt too. That's only fair. Um, but, but medical privacy, the, the concept of medical privacy has almost been completely annihilated, which is why, and I'll be very, very clear about this. When I go on tour for my book, I will not perform at any theater that forces anyone to show a vaccine card, period. I'm not gonna go to theaters that force you to wear a mask either. If you want to wear a mask, that's fine. If you would like to show the ticket, guy, your vaccination status, that's fine too. But I will not bring money to those locations that are doing that in the states that are doing that. That's my choice uh, to do that. And if I have to do all of my shows in Florida and Texas and people have to come there to see me, that'll be fine. Um, but I don't, I mean, think how hypocritical it would be for me to uh, be on tour about a book that's about freedom and to go to states where people would have to say, Dave, the only way I can see you is if I show this card. And I also don't think, I think you're allowed to make your own decisions and I wouldn't wanna only perform for people that are uh, vaccinated. It's all just ridiculous. So we have to just be careful, man. A lot of the things that we used to believe existed, freedom of speech, now with all the big tech stuff, the right to privacy, right to medical privacy, right to not incriminate yourself, uh, et cetera. These things seem to be going away a little bit. We have to act accordingly. Uh, Madison says, can we please stop calling the communists in America liberals? They have no desire to support an individual's freedom in any way. Madison, I feel you. Look, I tried for many, many years to defend liberalism. I, you know, I think I was like the main guy in America that made a distinction between classical liberalism, which is about equality and freedom and individual rights and laissez-faire economics and limited government versus bananas, crazy, collectivist, top-down, 
uh, woke leftism. I think I, you know, I tried to do that for a long time. The why I left the left video, 20 million, or no, I think it has 30 million views or something uh, right now. Like that was my explanation of all of that. My book right over there is a, a, a explainer of classical liberalism. Um, but what you're really talking about there is is the way we use words. Like, are the are the people who call themselves liberals today? Well, they're leftists first. They're collectivists first. But are they liberal? No, they're they're the most illiberal. I don't know anyone really, uh, short of let's say Bill Maher, that calls themselves a liberal that acts liberally. And in Bill Maher's case, he calls himself a liberal, but he votes for the people who are completely illiberal, the Democrats. Uh, that's a separate thing altogether. Um, so for me, it's like, I don't often say I'm a liberal anymore. I, I would say I'm a conservative in that I'm trying to conserve freedom. I'm trying to conserve America. In some ways, I'm trying to conserve parts of liberalism. I, I've had talks about this with, uh, with Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro and Glenn Beck and, and plenty of other people. But yeah, the words have really been destroyed. So I, I would say, you know, look, you're either for freedom, for your ability to make a choice for yourself, or you're not. And if you're not, I don't wanna have that much to do with you, really. Um, but unfortunately, going back to that earlier question, they want a lot to do with us. So what do we do about that? That is the question, that's something that I will uh, think about for the rest of the day. How about that? Uh, guys, part three of my interview with Brandon Tatum is up right now. Of course, you guys know Brandon. Uh, he was, uh, well, he was the founder of Let's Go Brandon. I just made that up. He was. <laughs> He was a former police officer uh, in, uh, in Arizona and the co-founder of Blexit alongside uh, Candace Owens. Just a great guy, good buddy of mine. We talk all about policing and just sort of the, the way the media manipulates certain cases depending on the race of who shot who and all the usual nonsense that you guys all know about. The full episode is up early and ad-free at rubenreport.locals.com. And tomorrow is... Friday. That means we've got a round, round table extravaganza. Uh, we've got Josh Hammer from Newsweek. Uh, my friend Janice Dean, who's been on the show, you know her. She's the Fox meteorologist who almost single-handedly took out Andrew Cuomo. Uh, and my friend Liz Wheeler. Uh, we will be recapping the week that was. Uh, and uh, that's about it for now. As I said, there's a lot going on here. Maybe some announcements coming, some other announcements. I like to kind of lead you guys that there could be some other things happening. I don't want to say too much, but that's all for this Thursday. Have a good one and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.